So, good morning. Uh, I don't know if I, ch- if I should have chosen this topic. Uh, in a sense, I'm an outsider. In a sense, I'm an insider. I'm an outsider because I come back to Israel, and that Israel has its own set of problems and its own um, issues, uh, some which overlap with American issues, some of which are different. Sinudatit, uh, or religious Zionism, uh, has a certain affinity and a certain overlap with modern orthodoxy, uh, not necessarily. You can be religious Zion, you can be Chardam, which is Charidi Umi, meaning you are non-modern, but, re- but Zionist. Uh, you can be also, of course, non-Orthodox and non- non-Zionist as well. And in one regard, I'm someone as an outsider, uh, at least to the American scene. Um, on the other hand, I'm not totally an outsider. I grew up a few blocks from here, and uh, as a child, I ran around these, uh, these hallways uh, many, many uh, <coughs> pleasurable hours. Uh, I subscribe also, I hope, to the modern relax uh, approach to life. And uh, more importantly, coming from the outside, you often see and feel things that maybe are easy to see when you come uh, once a year and, uh, from the outside and they're not engaged um, day-to-day from the inside. One of, uh, and I'll begin with that observation of the outsider's perspective, uh, for trying to go into more of an insider's, uh, uh, take on things as well. Coming outside, one is, uh, I think especially from, coming from religious Zionism, there's a sense of, uh, maybe, put a bit bluntly, maybe to overstate the case, of an embattled movement. Of a sense of, uh, of regression, of retreat, to, to compare it to what goes on in religious Zionism. Over there, there are many issues going on to Israel. There's many, many problems, uh, many, uh, many issues. But there's a sense of vibrancy. There's a sense that uh, lots of things are going on in religious Zionism I think I wholly disagree with. Others I totally agree with. Um, there's intense debate. Um, many of the uh, good deal that's going on is often strikes me as being outlandish, strange, um, particularly Hasidish. Uh, but uh, there's a sense of uh, expansion of people, people committed, passionate. And what, there's almost there's very little attrition from. Um, into the Haredi world. There's a trish, unfortunately, often to the secular world. But uh, there's very little... When I was a child, it was much greater. People would cross the boundaries both ways. Uh, it's almost... Uh, it's quite weird now. Each community has retreated to its own uh, enclave. Uh, each community is, is doing its own thing. Uh, it's weird that a kid from a religious Zionist high school will end up going to... Uh, to Haredi Yeshiva. This has many disadvantages, but it's addicted to the fact that the movement itself, if to be from, this is, uh, this is the option, this is self-confidence, this is commitment. Coming here, one, one often feels uh, there's much attrition to uh, a right group movement. Um, there's a sense of apologetics almost, of... Um, Schools and communities being uh, shifting rightwards, uh, less uh, 
He's being not less committed, but less uh, in a sense uh, apologetic almost of, uh, of various things. Of course, I'm generalizing now and generalizing for for a purpose. Um, but this state, you come to a, you ever come to a modern Orthodox school, or whatever, and you feel you have to almost justify the fact that you're modern Orthodox. I was told, um, I'm here on a recruiting trip now, I was told, don't always uh, wave the modern Orthodox credentials. It's not necessarily a good recruiting uh, tool. Uh, you often turn away either teachers or uh, prospective students. Uh, modern Orthodoxy is not what they're interested about or what they want to hear. Um, I'd like to somehow try to address this issue to um, explain the sense of what I think is going on and then if we're to um, also to uh, switch gears and uh, to make more of a claim or more of a, a challenge. Um, but differently, I'm going to begin a little bit some history and sociology, even though it's not my profession, and then move um, on to a Rav's uh, domain, uh, meaning... Uh, Calling people, trying to mobilize them spiritually. Uh, i begin with uh, an anecdote uh, which may be um, sometimes to get across uh, the problematic point of modern orthodoxy. And I'm the, I think I'm not the first to observe this, though, is the fact that there's a sense of retreat is not. I didn't wake up and discover America yesterday, and. Uh, I think obviously uh, many people have uh, aware of this and are dealing with these issues. Uh, when I was a child, there was a, in Yerushalayim, there was a, a well known Magid, uh, Darshan, who was a Shom Zaman Orbas, a brother in law, Shom Shadron. One of his favorite choice quotes was the following This is Rivka, Vaitatsua, Bani Bekirva, Vatomer Lamaze, Anochi, Vatele, Lidroshaloki. So Rashi says over there that she, um, what was going on? She would pass by Besa with the Zara, he would try to leave. She would pass by Besmedrash, she would, he would also try to leave. So then we really didn't know what was going on, so she went to, uh, she went to the Telech Dosh So, uh, he, uh, the way he, uh, dashed it somewhat whimsically and somewhat seriously and, uh, there's no smoke without fire at the end of the day. Uh, was, was the problem? And he said what bothered her was not the fact they wanted to go back somewhere desire per se. The problem was she she said to herself, who could possibly want to go to both places? In other words, the answer was these twins. Meaning before this she knew there were twins, she thought it was one it was one child. So which one child can uh, want to go both to Metal Desire? And she passed by a movie theater, she wants to go to a movie theater. Probably she wants to go to a dish. Could have possibly, there can only be one child who answers that description. Mizrachnik. Uh, so, so what was the answer? So, so, so what's the answer? It's Snake Bimbi Nech. So his uh, quote, Best with Sve Goyim for Aini Mizrachnik. It's better two Goyim than one uh, Mizrachnik. Uh, which of course was his style, and it's not only uh, such what he had. Uh, but he also pointed out uh, what he would say, what he says is schizophrenia, or a certain uh, pull in both ways. On the other hand, it also, the fact that he had to address the issue meant a certain vibrancy and a certain um, cohesion to the, to the movement that uh, he felt was, uh, he had to provide a response. So others would give a more thought out response. Uh, his style was to give uh, more flippant responses. But there was a sense that there was um, something going on that had to uh, somehow belittle what was happening. And um, 
What has changed? So I think uh, the answers I've heard from many different people often have been, um, I've often been, it says it goes more or less like this, that um, what the Orthodox is often perceived as being lukewarm, not passionate enough. My father wrote about this in his essay on modern orthodoxy that on the one hand, uh, the integration can create educa- educational problems that uh, the passion and uh, is not often the same. Um, and uh, there's a lot to this, uh, but the, the, the sense is that if to learn properly, if to, uh, to have long notes, to have long hours in Bismedrish, to have serious intense learning, uh, for that wants to be committed, uh, a dual program eventually means you nishtah uh, nishtaher. This way he put it there, uh, you end up uh, be having the worst of both worlds. Uh, in um, because uh, it's not it's, it's the commitment to seriousness, to, um, to deep learning, to, to high level Torah mitzvahs that was lacking. So therefore, the younger generation growing up uh, perceived Malchus uh, as a compromise. As a, as a lukewarm compromise, and therefore some more intensity, more seriousness, and cross the road to a different approach. That's part of the picture, but only part of it. And um, I like, or let me ask it differently, why this happened now, in the past 20 years, let's say, and not 40, 50, 60 years ago? And the answer, of course, in one level is that society was a different place. But, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll explain that in a moment, but there's also something else going on here, which I think, or at least I haven't seen it pointed out, it seems to me at the root of a good deal of what's, uh, of where contemporary modern orthodox is the moment, and by identifying this, we then sort of four try to point out directions for the future. Essentially, modern orthodoxy, is, as, as presented certainly in this neighborhood here, Torah Mada presents an ideological movement. It's ideology which believes in fusing together two elements, two elements in which there is inherent tension between them, meaning on the one hand you have revelation, on the other hand you have human wisdom, on the one you have Torah, you have Torah Bilvad, Torah is self-sufficient, on the other hand you have other sources of knowledge, human investigation, uh, the world at large, uh, there's a tension, or there's, or there's a question about how appropriate is it to use sources rooted in thought systems which don't buy into our basic axioms, or to be more explicit, can you really u- utilize sources taken from thought systems which are secular, the basic outlook, the scientific outlook, and the religious outlook are often clash. And many scientists approach this from such a perspective. Um, can you then integrate or not? And these are deep basic issues and go to the heart of the question of whether life should be dialectic or should be more, more monolithic. Um, can a person, uh, the core, the rough philosophy in a sense was you have clashing ideas or you have different elements, each of which is important and valuable of itself. However, each one also is at tension with other elements. For instance, uh, Chesed versus D, or Shalom versus Emes. The Gemara says, "Hadid Avav, Emet u'Mishpat Shalom Shiftu B'Sharichem Im Yesh Emet Ein Shalom Im Yesh Shalom Ein Emet." Obviously, 
Shnai Mokhzi Betalis. Two people hold on to the same garment. So, if you want Shalom, you say, Echloku, divide. You want MS, they didn't pick up together. Because the odds of picking up together are very slim. Even though we shouldn't talk about that, we don't really assume they pick, they pick up the same moment. If you want compromise, you want shalom, you say to them, split, no one will be totally happy, no one will be totally unhappy. On the other hand, if you want MS, so chazashalom, let's check it. So you say, other solutions, toss it up, or kodal You want MS, you don't, uh, you're raising a child. You want MS, you insist upon discipline, you insist upon self-reliance, you don't pamper him. By doing so, you create a lot of discipline, a lot of MS. You can't, you can't express warmth, you can't express love. Uh, on the other hand, you want Ahavan uh, Chesed. You do the opposite. You, uh, you shower with so many gifts and so much uh, attention and love that you spoil him. He's pampered, he's spoiled, uh, he can't manage on his own. Uh, so there's tension between Emet and Shalom, between Chesed and Din. Emma says no. Chesed says yes. And uh, the rest of the point was that um, the two are constant conflict. You have to do both. You cannot, by doing both, you pay a price. Your Emma will be Emma, your Shalom will be Shalom. Nevertheless, the sum total will be greater than each. Or to put it differently, if life pours you two glasses to drink, you cannot drink both you, you, if you have two glasses, one hot, one cold, a cup of tea and a glass of water, or a coke. You cannot, you can choose either or, you can choose to drink one and not the other, and then you'll enjoy it totally, but you'll be unaware of the value of the other, or you can drink both, by doing so, each will take a prize or cause you not to feel uh, the total benefit of the other, the Rav's determination, uh, the Rav's decision was, or guidance was, that you should choose both and pay prices. That's his dialectic. His dialectic means you can never fully realize both ideals. Each ideal will only be partial. Valamazel. O Shalom bim romav. In the heavens, everything goes together. In this world, those prices, I was asked to speak recently about the Hezder, to explain, to justify the Hezder. That's a basic point. If you believe that Torah is important, if you believe that uh, serving the army, furthering Am Yisrael's goals in Eretz Yisrael, if you believe in shouldering the burden is a value, you can choose to either or. You can be 20 years in Yeshiva and become a Yeshiva. You can be 20 years in the army and become a general. The Hezder assumes neither. The Hezder assumes that you'll do both. By doing both, you pay a price for your Torah, you pay a price for your army service. But nevertheless, you have done both and participate in both elements. And you will not have chosen either or, unlike some other systems who prefer either or. Now, I think this is the basic idea of the Russ philosophy in general. And modern orthodoxy is another manifestation of this. You can choose either Torah alone. If you're orthodox, you can't really choose only Chachma without Torah. But uh, modern orthodoxy says, I won't choose Torah alone. I will fuse the two. I'm, I'm aware there are tensions. I'm aware it's dialectic. I'm aware at times I pay prices, beat in times, beat in time simply, but only in time. 
the, the two different perspectives may also create a real inherent tension. But nevertheless, by um, was believing that both derive from sources, which cause roughly sanction, in other words, one is revelation through the written word, one is revelation through our lives, through the world, through reality. So we have to choose both. And this was the Rav's basic choice about life in general. I said before, it's not only modern orthodoxy. Modern orthodoxy is another example of a Pines dialectic to life in general. Whenever there are two things, everything in the world was roughly created as a positive element, you now have to sort of combine them. Loneliness and happiness, chesed and gvura, shalom and emes, chachma and Torah as well. Now as such, it's an ideological movement. And if you read some of the writings which have been written by modern orthodoxy, you take Rabbi Lamb's book, you take my father's essay, etc., etc., it's presented more than not as an ideological uh, movement, Every Lamb in his book, he presents different models of uh, why to integrate the two. He uh, tries to to deal with um, various claims against modern orthodoxy. But it's actually presented as an ideological movement. And as I said before, it's an ideological movement which makes certain assumptions, makes some major assumptions. As I said before, that about Torah, about, about what Torah includes, what doesn't include about the aims of Torah, about the need to tap into other sources. By the way, we can talk about Minhag and Halach in the same way. Minhag is a form of revelation. A written Halach is a form of revelation. How do you fuse Halach and Minhag? You have different approaches there as well. However, all this is assuming the modern orthodoxy is an ideology I should choose from. I have, I can have, very, I can have religious Zionism, I can have Satmer, I can have modern, modern orthodoxy, I can have an anti-modern orthodoxy approach. And uh, as I said before, by him and uh, like, he's trying to compete with Rebbe Wasserman and, and his claims against, uh, against such an approach. Uh, and of course, it goes back way to the 12th century, to the Rambam, and those who are against the Rambam, and all the controversies surrounding the Rambam, and it goes back before that. Uh, by its essence, by its very definition, question of combining Torah with uh, Chochmah is inherent tension. Or to put it differently, it will always, uh, you always confront the same tension. However, that's only half the story. And uh, the other half is, modern orthodoxy was really a historical movement. It was an ideological movement. The question was not, I believe or not. In a sense, it was a movement at a certain place and time and now, now, now I'm not talking about the Rambam. I'm talking about from where we're coming in, in our contemporary existence. It was a movement to people in a certain place, you could say, to put it more specifically, begin in 19th century Germany, and of course confronted 20th century America as well, in which people, people were exposed to modernity for various reasons. The reasons at the moment are irrelevant. Why did they decide to be modern? But they were modern. And the question, that be, the question that became, if you arrive in Germany in the late 19th century, early 20th century, if you have in America in 1930 or 1950, you had a Babati who were modern. And they had no plans of being anything otherwise. It wasn't a question of, should you, should you advocate to them becoming modern Orthodox? 
or Haredi. They were modern. The only question was, should they be modern Orthodox or modern non-Orthodox? Modernity was a given. In other words, we're going to go to the movies, that we're going to have a modern lifestyle, that was never open to debate. The question was, do you go to the movies with a kippah or without a kippah? Do you have such a new going academic career when you are integrating your Torah and your belief with that? Or do, I, or do we tell you the Torah compatible and therefore uh, Torah will be the one that gives way? In other words, a whole group of, of thinkers or actually communal leaders in Rabbanim felt they were facing historical circumstances in which modernity was considered a given because people, that's what they wanted. That was the way the world was going. That was progress. So that was the evolution um, of society. And that, that was the main set of belief. Moreover, it wasn't only a set of belief, it was a lifestyle. And uh, they set out to allow people to remain from... Really, it wasn't a question of giving them ideology, you know, all the inspiring rhetoric uh, of modern orthodox at its, at its best, was not, it was not the issue they were confronting, that was not what they were advocating. They were just trying to reconcile, to take themselves from Israel. It's a sense for the army. Um, the question of Hezder wasn't only a question of, do you believe in fusing... Uh, that and Le'om and, uh, and, and you see Pamei Mashiach and the like. The question was, let's face it, these people are going to the army, so we might as well help them uh, do it in a better way in which they're able to, uh, like, like, like the Nachal Haredi nowadays. People who advocate Nachal Haredi do not claim that ideologically they believe this is the Chathila. They claim their kids were out there who cannot survive within the habitat they have otherwise. So therefore, we have to have an outlet for them in order to allow them to remain from and uh, within... And it's not as seen as a dream, the realization of a dream. It's simply as an educational tool to help them, uh, to, 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 to give them a safety net, really. This is true, then, to a large degree, of sight uh, at large, uh, that it was seen as a safety net to allow people to do the lifestyle they were determined to have, and not that they articulate in these words, but implicitly that's the way they were living their lives, and to provide them with such a safety. If anyone reads uh, Professor Mordechai Breuer's book on uh, German Orthodoxy from 1871 onwards, that's the controlling idea of the book. The modern Orthodoxy was not an ideological movement, it was a practical movement, a safety net. I'm not an expert historian, my impression is he, over, he overstates the case, it's a bit one-sided, but clearly, he still makes the case modern orthodoxy was simply to allow the chevre to uh, remain within both worlds. And uh, there's no doubt this was part of the deal. That a good deal of modern orthodoxy indeed was established in order to allow people who felt this is the lifestyle they want, to be able to do it better, and to do it in a way that was compatible with their belief, that and could very well be the people who were guiding them also believing as a system. But beyond that, they were also catering to a crowd who's not interested in the intellectual subtleties that Rabbi Lehm is writing about, and my father writes about. They were simply wanted a way to feel, to feel comfortable with their lifestyle and their upbringing. Now, um, as such, 
achieve great results. It's hard to imagine the United States, the Orthodox United States at the moment, without that. There would have been a small, deeply committed core, but so many other people would have been lost. It was achieved in many ways by modernizing the aesthetic of the show, the aesthetic of the Siddur, um, by, by developing also a philosophical justification. In other words, it wasn't only by making shows which were more uh, amenable or more similar to um, to institutions which were uh, which were non-Jewish institutions. It was also achieved by providing the philosophical and ideological framework. But the, as I said before, the framework was to allow people to live in both worlds. Without this, orthodoxy would have diminished, would have shrunk in size. That the reservoir of people later on to become more intense and more yeshivati never would have existed to begin with. Without such a bridge to, to bridge between the world of the time and the contemporary world, probably the vast majority would have been lost because they were not about to forfeit such a lifestyle. However, there's a price to be paid for that. The price is, if this is your mindset, you, you arrive at modern orthodoxy not from, position, not from a position of strength, but from a position of weakness. But you're not saying, as if I believe in this, this is the best of both worlds. I'm fusing revelation of the world and revelation of Torah. I'm fusing understanding of the human, of human nature and the divine will. I'm not providing the best of both worlds. It's not the best that was thought. It is not the most uplifting, it's not the most spiritually rewarding, but simply, practically speaking, it's the best way to keep people from. So, and the sentence, what you're saying is, if I have to choose, if push will come to shove, and I'll, I'll back them into a corner, I'll have to choose, I'm not sure what they're going to choose. Um, and uh, therefore, I won't have them choose. But by doing so, you basically arrive at from a position of weakness. It's not a position of strength, but of weakness. So essentially, modern orthodoxy comes in two flavors. It comes in one flavor, that of the ideological one, which comes from a position of strength. I think mean, no one can look at modern orthodoxy as an ideological movement and deny its potency, its vibrancy, and its value. It's no accident if to talk about uh, the past. But the Rambam, who was exposed to Greek culture and to Greek science, produced the most, and what to say, almost the only organized work. Uh, the Rambam knows that where organization, the classification is, uh, try to find something in Sefer Irei, excuse me, in Sefer Itur. Sefer Itur is Sefer Alocha, which was presumably written for people to, uh, to use. How is it organized? It's organized by the following acronym. Tashkev Begeza Chochma. Why you write that, I don't know, but the, that's the organization of the Simonim in, in, in the Itur. Uh, so it goes from Shtaros to, uh, I forget to Kabbalah, say, just whatever, that, that's, that's the way it goes. Tav, Shin, Kuf, Pei, Bed, Gimel, Zayin, Ayin, Chet, and it's almost impossible to find anything over there. Um, try to find something in the Shabbos in the, in the, in the rain. You have no way of figuring out, you know, Shabbos there is a huge passage, how can you find anything? You can't. You have to read the whole thing uh, page to page. Um, and so on and so forth. The Rambam did it. He was organized, obviously because he was impacted by organization he acquired. Uh, and uh, 
and so on and so forth. Uh, and there's no uh, so as an ideological movement, it certainly uh, is uplifting and provides many. Uh, and there's much to be said. And uh, as I said before, I think others uh, have written about and articulated better than I can. Uh, and uh, they've written about how the benefit of providing culture and, uh, and, and, and Torah is so great. And come from Eretz Yisrael, I said before, it's indeed felt. You can often feel in Eretz Yisrael that what's lacking is sense this, this exposure to culture and uh, a little more exposure to this would enrich your spiritual life over there. However, that was only one flavor. And that was the flavor, I would say, of maybe of the Echidi. The other one was the historical flavor. Simply, it's a need, educational, historical answer to a particular situation. That from one you come from a position of strength, from the other you come from a position of weakness. And, uh, and that's in a sense, really, you had people like the Rav on the one hand, on the other hand, you had people simply you know this is the only way to uh, keep them within the fold and uh, to stay from. Uh, <coughs> Often, uh, you know, I remember people speaking to the Rav, you know, Viz Balabatana he encountered, and they, they, were, they belonged to the same movement, subscribed to the same ideology, but coming from such different places, not only because he was more profound than they were, because the starting point was different. The starting point was one of, one of commitment to Torah and then integrating modernity. But the other one was not a formal commitment, but deep down in the sense that I will be modern because this is what my intuition, this is what my my desires are, and therefore uh, I have to attach this on to uh, allow me to continue doing this. Now, all this, uh, so for this is the way I understand the way, how modern Orthodox in a sense in the United States, uh, not originally at least, how it expressed itself. Position of strength, position of weakness, an ideological movement, a historical movement. Now, why not become a... Why does it be modern orthodoxy? Because there's a sense... And yeah, I'm going to make an assumption, but... Uh, let's see why, as I go along why I think it's so. Most people, deep down, would not see the ideology. You know, most people would not... You know, we have those who were, but deep down, most people really see the lifestyle. What they, what they really keep about modernity was to feel comfortable in society was to feel comfortable with the, with the lifestyle. Most people, not, most people are not philosophers. They, uh, but they do live in society. They want to feel comfortable with it. Now, there was an assumption, which at the time was true, and still is true in Israel nowadays, that you can't have it both ways. In other words, if you want to be Haredi, you have to so insular philosophically, and you have insular lifestyle. In other words, you have to be on the one hand, if you don't read Shakespeare, Dostoevsky, Kant, etc., etc., you also don't enjoy the pleasures of a modern lifestyle. If you turn your back on modernity, if you think that a Torah, true Judaism, quote-unquote, is one which is insular, so you for the whole package. The package, uh, the lifestyle package, can't be separated from the ideological philosophical package. And therefore, it's a package deal. Either you, you sit in B'nai Brak, and in B'nai Brak, so you don't, you're not exposed to any of these cultural figures, 
you're not exposed to Darwin, you're not exposed to, uh, to Freud, etc. And you also don't tap into the benefits of uh, technology and, uh, and the like. You don't have a modern lifestyle either. On the other hand, if you want a modern lifestyle, you can't have that without subtract ideology. If you believe in the achievements of modernity, it has to go hand in hand with recognition of its ideological axioms, of its philosophical uh, theories. So if you subscribe to modern, if you want a modern lifestyle, you want the pleasures and the amenities of modern lifestyle, you also have to send your kids to a modern class school and let them read Shakespeare and let them uh, be immersed in culture, let them study science and, um, and so on and so forth. So therefore, it was a choice. You either, it's a package deal, you have to choose either go one hand and have neither or go to the other and have both. What, uh, and now, that being the case, modern orthodox was an appealing choice. People want to become orthodox. I said, deep down, many people felt they required or desired a modern lifestyle. So they realized that this was the accompanying, if you want, the price, but the this is the corresponding element which had to go hand in hand with that. And therefore, they, uh, they sent the children to modern orthodox day schools, uh, and, uh, and so on. What's happened now, in Israel, that remains the situation. In Israel, if you're in B'nai Brak, you are still cut off from the internet. You are still, uh, you know, the standard of living is much lower than Ranana or Petah Tikva or, or whatever. You, uh, your cell phone is supposed to be with a Hefshed Rabbanim, uh, of course not against Hashem Harad, against, uh, but the, 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 no SMS, no text. You, you go in Israel and get a telephone kasher. That's uh, what telephone kasher means. That it's technologically limited, and your autonomy is limited. Um, and, uh, and and the, truth, the fact of the matter is, the lifestyle is indeed um, much less, and quote unquote, standard of living is lower than corresponding modernized communities, and that. That same package remains, in effect, more or less. I'm not saying at the sides, there aren't, uh, it's not being nibbled away at the sides, but broadly speaking, that still remains the case in Israel. Over here, in the past 20 years or so, I'm not committed to the exact date, um, what's happened is a sea change. What's happened is, this package has become unraveled. In the first one, the Pradacha Vila. You can now, and this is the genius of various, uh, Various, black uh, the word Various Haredi movements which carry to the American scene now. Because you come and say we will provide you with the lifestyle, but we will, but within the Haredi context, no longer if you're insular, you're not going to be insular from the lifestyle. You can be insular from the philosophy, but you don't have to be. You, you don't have to withdraw from the corresponding modern lifestyle. You get the technology without having to be part of the ideology. Or to, I, I was in a community outside the United States once. A uh, person had uh, in his study a huge picture of a shach beneath his golf clubs. Now, I'm sure if Rav Shach had seen a picture, he would have uh, turned over his grave. Uh, 
And if anyone in, in part of the region then would have seen that, they would have thought that, you know, it's Hagam Nichboshet HaMalkani Yibabai, that you can't do that this doesn't work. You want to play golf? Be modern orthodox. In Bnebrak, that's indeed the case. It's either or. In the United States, and then probably broadly speaking, uh, other, other countries in Galut, that's no longer the case. You can have the golf course under a shot's picture, and it's not just incompatible. And the person's self-image was, uh, was perfectly, uh, I think, intact. Someone described it to me as being Haredi and Shabbos, Marothas on Sunday. Which is the same idea. The idea really is, is that the Sunday, which is a lifestyle day, so a modern Shabbos, which is a firm or a religious a philosophical day, they're not modern, and it's, it's basically the same phenomenon. And this is this is what's the, this is seems to me the major change. It's not that the ideology has become any weaker or any different. Either you, if the ideology appealed to you 50 years ago, it should still appeal to you now. If you believe in the, you know, if you believe that the Rav's ideology and um, and the Torah ideology and the Torah ideology is correct, it's, it hasn't lost any of its force or any of its vibrancy at the you know, relative was fifty years ago. What's happened is is that those who used to subscribe to a position of weakness because they had to have the lifestyle now have the best of both worlds. They can have the lifestyle without having to subscribe to this. Now, this is an achievement because if you were only subscribing it from a position of weakness, only because you wanted to justify your lifestyle, so deep down you felt it wasn't as authentic, it wasn't the lukewarm, it was powerful. Because if your motivation deep down was not because you recognized the beauty of, uh, of wisdom, it's not because you said, yef, yef, yutoshal, yef, shem, that you really saw cultures inspiring and challenging, but you simply saw it's a hetter, uh, it's the rest as a matir, to engage in modern lifestyle, so now you get a better matir, one's more authentic, one which doesn't have all these complications of the dialectic attached to it, one which is not, doesn't cause such um, tension within you. You can now have a relatively plain, simple um, religious ideology, which is authentic, which has the way of tradition behind it, which is consistent continuity of uh, the world in Eastern Europe, uh, or North Africa for that matter, and at the same time, enjoy the lifestyle. So now, all those people who, who were, quote-unquote, forced, against, against their better judgment, to subscribe to modern ethics in a position of weakness because they wanted such a lifestyle, no longer need that. They can now go, I said before, on Sunday, enjoy everything that, that the American leisure system has to offer. But at the same time, Shabbos not have to uh, cope with issues of uh, this dialectic. And all that group has now been cut off. In other words, they go, they belong to a world which is modern, which is part of society, which enjoys the latest gadgets, which enjoys uh, the leisure, but nevertheless does not subscribe to the ideology. Well, that, so before, I think it doesn't happen. It's there, you still have to make the choice. Over here, though, it does happen. And, um, and therefore, the numbers have diminished. The numbers have changed. The dynamic has changed. Because before, deep down, most people have philosophers. 
Most people are not intellectual, and what they desire is really simply, you know, leave us, let us enjoy our lifestyle with legitimacy. They cannot get the legitimacy from other movements just as well. And, and, and we're talking about people who are media savvy, who understand the culture very well, who provide a sense of belonging to popular culture. Um, I mean, anyway, so now the numbers have diminished the sense of retreat, sense of regression. And of course, these people, all people who in a sense, who they, or their parents, or their siblings, or whatever, win the system from the position of weakness. So now they feel stronger and more empowered. Now they feel that um, they're in a better place, and in a sense they are in a better place. In the sense of, it's very commitment because their commitment was different before. So having said this, so now you have many people crossing, uh, crossing the street, and um, moreover, uh, as I said before, this is not the only dynamic. There are other dynamics which I'm well aware of, but uh, I think I'd like to add in those uh, relative to people who have spoken about this on other occasions, and uh, and also a lack of time. So I'm not going to talk about other dynamics such as choice of profession, how that impacts, uh, how that impacts upon who enters into the, into the educational system, uh, etc. But um, the sense of, there's a greater, for those switching, there is indeed a greater commitment and a greater sense of wholeness because their rationale to begin with was different. And now, you have a dynamic which already is set to place in which there's regression, there's retreat, the, the tide is going against you. And the major change that before I think is simply that the, the connection between lifestyle and the Hollywood was unraveled. Now, one could give a whole lecture, and one could, one could soon ask the question, well, who's right? Are the Israelis, is Asia Torah right, or are the Israelis right? Is, is, is it indeed internally consistent? Is it, is it a good idea to say, let's enjoy technology but not subscribe to such a modern ideology? Or is it inconsistent? It's a, that would require a whole discussion and uh, the answer may not be that simple and, and would require maybe more nuanced uh, discussion. But the fact of the matter is that this is the dynamic. Now, um, and this reason to us, up to now, is start to analyze the situation. What does this bring us to? It brings us in a sense, of course, to a sense of retreat, of uh, the sense of the, the sense of, well, of being more authentic as the other is a is a non non modern orthodox movements. Um, in that sense, when you come here, you feel often from the outside. You feel a sense of lack of self-confidence. You feel a sense of uh, being unwilling to justify what's going on. But on the other hand, Lanyudati presents a huge opportunity. When you had a broad... I'll take an example of Kashrus to explain the point. When uh, a Mahadrin Hersher has a huge advantage, a huge disadvantage. A Mahadrin Hersher, at least in Israel, it... It's not out to cover everyone. It was, the Rabbanut has had hechsher for everyone. If there's no hechsher the Rabbanut, the, the people will eat it anyway. It's a betrayal. In other words, if the Rabbanut will give a hechsher on a yogurt, so even if they give a kula on various issues, could be chalavakum, could be gelatin, whatever they make it on, so by doing so, they, they ensure the product is kosher. 
and there's Chumas and Maishas are taken off, and Shemitah is observed, uh, and, uh, and they don't use non-kosher milk, uh, etc., etc. Uh, however, by seeking for a broad common denominator, you lower the bar. When Hadun Hesher, Hadun Hesher assumes that only those are committed will buy it. The, the, the non-Mahadun Hesher assumes if I provide the Hesher, people will buy it. If I don't, they'll still buy it. In the, the Mahadun Hesher assumes they only buy it with the Hesher. So if I can raise the bar, and only if I feel comfortable with, can I, will I authorize? If I don't feel comfortable with, I'll say, no, thank you, and people won't buy it. Now, this is the, the analogous situation over here with, uh, with modern orthodoxy. As long as it had to be the safety net for everyone, it had to provide a safety net for those in position of weakness. It had to say to itself, if I provide the half share, they'll buy it. And if I don't, they'll also buy it. So therefore, I have to provide the half share. And if it means lowering the standard or seeing a broad common denominator, it's a mitzvah daraisa. As I said before, I think that to a large degree, the vibrancy of orthodox the moment is only because there were people who had the vision and the wisdom to lower the standards and to create a broad common denominator, and by doing so, to have, to keep certain people within the fold, who otherwise would have been outside the fold. And uh, the shiva world of today is based upon those very, those very families, without whom, had they been, those, the very, um, the very ideology which belittles that at the moment, or the very ideology of being belittled, was the modern orthodoxy. If not for it, there never would have been the, the contemporary Shiva world because they wouldn't have been able to draw from. There would have been a pool of people to even to begin to draw who could then change their ideology because they would have been lost. And by creating this broad common denominator, and by long standing, as I said before, like in the Kashrus, it's what saved the theological Greek orthodoxy and that's certainly allowed it to thrive and flourish the way it is at the moment. So therefore, it was the right thing and I really think it required uh, great vision and visionaries to rise to the historical challenge. However, now, our position is no longer that of the Rabbanit Hechshir because now, others are doing the same thing. No longer does modern orthodoxy alone have to provide the safety net. The safety has been provided by many other movements. So obviously we want to be involved in that, in the right safety, assuming that by doing so we're able to give people the ideology as well. However, now that we are not the only ones providing the safety net, and the others doing the same, we can now focus upon those who subscribe for a position of strength. We now, we now have to come out and say, this is not for people who want... Uh, who want this lifestyle, therefore we will provide them with the institutional, the ideological framework. It's rather, now is the opportunity, because that is no longer such a pressing need, to come and say, we will raise the bar. We will now present modern orthodoxy as a proud movement, one which champions an ideological element, one which talks about having the boast, the best, the best, the best of both worlds, one which no longer must simply allow people to stay somewhere within, but one which will demand of people. If 
you, if you want to be with a modern lifestyle, there are many organizations, many movements, which will give you the halakhic know-how, which will give you the show, which will give you the school, and allow you to live your life as an Ovid Hashem, enjoying technology and a lifestyle. If you want to modern orthodoxy, begin to confront its messages. Begin to subscribe to its deeper messages. Learn to cope, learn to cope with the dialectic. Learn to engage with this meeting between Torah and Chochmah. It's no longer, no longer has to be a historical movement. It can be essentially an ideological movement. By being so, I think historically it will also benefit. It will, by reinforcing the core, it will eventually expand as well. But at the moment, the time is right to no longer having to make it seem like this is simply the lowest common denominator. It's the opposite. It has to be presented now as a higher common denominator, as a higher elevation, as a path which is not for the masses, as a path which is not for everyone, which a person has to be well thought out, has to be committed. In other words, it's time to shift and start to the ideological uh, flavor of the movement. And uh, by doing so, to recapture the sense of excitement, the vibrancy, the sense of energy, and the sense mostly of spiritual accomplishment. It's like people are committed. The sense of people who uh, feel passionate about what they're doing, to get people within the, within the movement because they really believe you, can, you get the best out of this. There's um, you know, an analogy, a medieval analogy. Spain was, on the one hand, apparently, once more, I'm not a historian, but the impression one gets uh, from reading both sources and, and, and historians is Spain was less, quote-unquote, firm than Ashkenaz but achieved tremendous achievements. In other words, uh, even if we assume uh, that there are people there who subscribe to positions of weakness, but can you imagine Yiddishkeit without the Rambam al-Torah, without the Mornavuchim, without the Kuzari? None of these works uh, emanated from Ashkenaz. Let's compare Sefer Hasidim to the Kuzari of the Mornavuchim. Compare the Chumash Parshanut from um, from Ashkenaz, what's going on with Ramban, Ibn Ezra, Merit, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, how much more impoverished would we be without such uh, works, which came to fruition in a particular culture and environment? Uh, now, I think this is what we have to come and present to people. The... The challenge is to create such works. It's to have a world of Tanakh which is more vibrant, a world of Tanakh which is more insightful, more profound, because by engaging culture and literature and art and philosophy, you end up with a more profound outlook on life and strive to create such parshanut, to create Torah itself. And uh, I think we have an obligation to Torah itself. I explain what I mean. Torah, at the end of the day, is the meaning of ideas, capital I, and life. In other words, Torah is not, abstract, is not only an abstract system of ideas, and I've read the Shalacha, but nevertheless I'm, uh, I repeat this, Torah is the meaning, is the application of ideas to the real world. And as such, confronting the world, not as a place for, for fun and lifestyle. In other words, not Torah and fun, but Torah and Madah, Torah and Chachma. 
confronting the world, confronting history, confronting science, gives you a better appreciation of the world. And therefore, Torah itself can benefit, because if you have to have the two meet, and the dynamic of the world is crucial to understand how Torah applies to it, so the better your knowledge of the world, the better your understanding of Torah itself. The more profound your Torah is, the more you understand the world. The more you understand human nature, the more profound your Torah is. The more you understand science, the more, the better your Torah is, etc. To the extent that we believe that modern orthodoxy has the ability, for most people, there are of course exceptions who don't need it, but has the ability to provide insight to human nature and to the world at large. Um, and once more, this can be done from a position of strength. So then, Torah itself will benefit. And modern orthodoxy has to present itself as a vibrant world which is contributed to Torah, which is making Torah greater and better Torah, be it Tanakh, be it Torah Shabal be it Halacha, and by um, presenting it as such, the A will do Torah service, it will do itself a service, it will enhance and intensify and mostly deepen its ideology, and uh, I think eventually also attract more people. People aren't attracted to intensity. But I think it's indeed an opportunity because the moment that there are other alternatives for those who just want the lifestyle, we can now go look inwards and be kind depthwards, look down to the depths and plumb these depths for greater understanding. That's why even though the sense of retreat and regression at times because those who are in for a position of weakness are now shifting to other pastures, it also presents a huge opportunity, which I think the American public at large, the American Orthodox public, of course, uh, and particularly the educational system, particularly the schools, the mechanchim, be it be Shivan Poha, be it high schools, be it Rabbanim Shuls, the educational system has to regain its pride and its self-confidence, and it will do so by realizing that this is not a movement which is which grew out of weakness, the way it was perceived because of the struggle element, but a movement which is rooted in a very deep ideology, and as such will be presented as a movement full of strength from a position of self-confidence. This was Hashem, we were able to renew it and allow it to go to greater achievements. Tadarabha.